project management is very similar. You know, regardless if you're in the army, if you're in the semiconductor industry, if you're in the electric vehicle industry, you're basically you know convincing people to do things you know on time, on budget, with a with a level of quality. And yeah, that all started with that practice in the army. A last-minute application for an ROTC scholarship changed the trajectory of Carrington Bradley's life, practically handing him educational and career opportunities that required little decision-making on his part. Other happenstances helped guide him on his personal and professional path. Find out how recognizing the signs and following twists of fate can sometimes provide chances to take an active leadership role on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with my friend Carrington Bradley, and we are going to talk about sources of power, shifts of power, something like that. Um, Carrington, it's so great to see you again and to have you here. It's great to see you too again, Leslie. All right. So I ask the same questions when I start and they are, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? So I've been thinking a little bit about this over the last uh, over the last couple of days, and um, I, I think I've sort of come to the conclusion that when I first got to Dartmouth, I was a little overwhelmed. You know, if I think back to my you know high school, middle school, elementary school years, you know, I really had the same you know call it fifty friends or so that um, that I met like you know first, second, third grade, and that same group of friends I. Um, you know, I, I was with just about every single day for, for 12, 13 years. And when I got to Dartmouth, I didn't know anybody. I was the only person from my high school who went to Dartmouth. In fact, there was probably only maybe five of us who went, you know, really kind of like far away, like far out of state. I don't know. I sort of, you know, I, I, I had a great freshman year roommate. I had a great bunch of people who I met first year, but I, I sort of always, I, I felt a little intimidated, quite frankly, right? I sort of felt like, hey, here's all these other people. They've, they've already done all these other things. And uh, you sort of like, where do I fit in? I think I didn't really realize at first how difficult Dartmouth would be. You know, looking back, high school, I was probably a little lazy. You know, finishing up senior year it was it was it was easy, but yeah, it was not like that at, at Dartmouth at all. And uh, it, yeah, it was a real struggle at the very beginning. I think as we neared towards graduation in, in the senior year, um, I, I think I found my way a little bit. I think I, I definitely worked a little harder than I than I did uh, freshman year. I was always pleased. I mean, I chose to be an engineering major. I, I was really happy about that. I think it was a great decision. You know, I, I love the analytical nature of it. I love trying to solve the problem. I love there actually being a right answer rather than something that was, you know, open to interpretation or open to opinion and sort of things of that nature. But, you know, by the time I, I graduated from Dartmouth, you know, I, I participated in the ROTC program at Dartmouth, right? And so, you know, really my my decisions in terms of, hey, what am I going to do next? That had already been decided four, four years prior to that. And so, you know, I, I didn't participate in like any of the job recruiting kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I didn't have any uncertainty, right? Like I knew exactly what I was going to do. I knew exactly where I was going to go and it worked for me. I don't know. I, I will tell one kind of story that I think is kind of interesting that, that I'll hit upon uh, in, in some of the other things we talk about, right, is, you know, I didn't have a plan. Like, I had no idea what I was going to do. It's like I, Most people don't have any idea what they're going to do, right? And I sort of think back to these, like, little twists of fate that have kind of had a major impact on my life. And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I attended Dartmouth and RTC scholarship. But the fact is, is to actually win that scholarship, like literally my mother grabbed me my senior year and we sat on the dining table and she said, she's like, hey, look, you know, just fill this out. It's due tomorrow and you, and you might win it. And uh, and I was like, I was like, oh, gosh, I got to fill out some other like 
form for college is like, what is? And she's like, she's like, no, hey, don't worry about it. this one's easy. You just have to fill in the bubbles. There are no essay questions for this scholarship at all. It's like, oh, great, fantastic. Like, what is it? She's like, it's an Army RTC scholarship. It's like, oh, okay, I'll fill this out. And so I filled out the little bubbles and you had to get some teacher recommendations. And and like I went like like the next day to school and I was like, hey, I'm sorry, like this is the very last <laughs> minute, but can you please do this like in the next two hours? And my teachers did it and, and I got this RTC scholarship. So, I mean, literally like my entire like life kind of turned over the fact that my mother was just sort of searching around. She was like, she's like, hey, this looks interesting. Like, give it a try. And sure. And that's how I ended up sort of, you know, my senior year in Dartmouth, like knowing exactly what I was going to do for the next four years and, 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 and sort of to move on into the army. Yeah, exactly. Uh, little did you know, filling out those bubbles, you'd be getting up really early in the morning and all the extra work you had to put in for that. But it is kind of amazing that you with no plan actually had plans kind of come together for you, right? Um, so after graduation, you probably went the farthest away that I could think of, of all of my friends. Tell us where you ended up and what that life was like. Sure. So the first six months was kind of like, well, yeah, the first six months was sort of like training for, yeah, like, for right. the officers. Right. And so I, I was in I was in Augusta, Georgia. It, it was great. That was actually I think it was the summer that Tiger Woods first won the Masters. Um, but none of us got to go to the golf tournament. But it, <laughs> but it was exciting to be in Augusta at, at, at right. this time. I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. Well, and the but, Olympics, I think. Wasn't that Atlanta um, that year? It was. But I was there in October. So the Olympics oh, were over. Okay. Right okay, yeah, okay. good point. I had forgotten about that. Um, so after that, I got to go jump out of an airplane for three weeks. So that was like really cool. That's like, Hey, that's why you want to like, you know, join the <laughs> army. Right. It's like, cause you get to do cool stuff, like jump out of airplanes. Uh, and then I went to Korea. I went to South Korea for 15 months and yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty far away, but it was really neat. Right. I mean, you know, I get to take the train to go into Seoul on the weekend. You got to, uh, you know, my my go to war location, right, was was in Pusan, which was, you know, which is essentially the beach, right? Because like the idea was port would receive all this material and it would go drive up the the, the the main interstate highway. But yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly an eye opening experience from a from a cultural point of view, being in a country that, um, you know, once you stepped off of base, like, you know, people, people didn't speak English, right. But it was neat. I mean, I actually Korea had Korea was extremely easy to get around in. And, and that's actually interesting. Like that's actually left over from the Olympics. Like there was tons of signs everywhere mm-hmm. that were in English. Uh, the train system was fantastic. I really learned to love the food. Like I love kimchi and it was just, it was, it was just interesting sort of being there. So, you know, the, the army as a whole and, and the experiences of the army were, it, it, it's not only like, Hey, you're, you're going to a foreign country. You're going so far away from, from, from the United States. It, it's, it's also, you know, the, like the army drops you into these sort of situations that, that you just have to perform. And like, you're supposed to be a leader, like the whole idea of, of, of being in the army and being an officer in the army is to lead other people to do things. And so, you know, at, at the time I was 22 years old and I had arrived in Seoul and, you know, we had spent a couple of days to get like paperwork done or, or, or whatnot. And, and as trivial as this sounds, right, like the very first thing that I had to do, they were like, Lieutenant, like, here's 10 train tickets, here's nine other soldiers. And and your job is to make sure that they is that you and the rest of them get off at the train station that you're supposed to get off on, right? And it was like, you know, two hours away or something like that. And uh, again, 
as trivial as that sounds, right? Like you really don't want to mess that up, right? Like I can tell you that I did not sleep at all on, on, on that train ride. And, you know, you think about like, you know, when, when you're like in the subway in New York and you're kind of listening to where like the, like the, like the announcer saying next stop is whatever. It's like, it's like every single time that announcer came on in, in, in you know, speaking in Korea, I was like, oh my gosh, I know like one word. It's like, please don't let me mess up the one word one to say word. that this town is, is the next one that's going to. It's going to come. And so, yeah, hey, so that that was that was the first thing. But, you know, but beyond that, so, you, you know, I, I get there and, you know, within two weeks, I'm in charge of 35 people. Right. I mean, I've, I've got a platoon that's that's in charge of, th- of 35 people. I don't know too many other people in our classroom outside of the military who can say like, hey, six months after they started work, they, they were in they were in charge of 35 people. Right. And, and, um, you know, Hey, you're responsible for, you know, do on a day-to-day basis? Like, what do you do for like, you know, the maintenance of the equipment and Hey, you got to do performance evaluation. Um, you have to sort of deal with like these unknown things that pop up, right? Like soldiers were away from their family. I, there was one person who got a divorce while he was there. There was one of my soldiers, you know, had some serious medical problems that we had to deal with. You also get to do good things, right? You get to write out for like awards and you get, you get to literally pin medals on people's chest, right? So yeah, but um, Carrington, let me stop you for a second, because one of the things, and I know you're, I'm not going to get the nomenclature, right? The unit, the group that you were with yeah. had engineering capabilities and, and sure. jobs to do. So that related to your engineering. But one thing that you said about your love of engineering before was that it was analytical and there was a right answer. And just about everything you just told me, like dealing with somebody's medical issues or dealing with somebody's divorce or figuring out what to do on a day-to-day basis, that is the open to interpretation that you said that you were eschewing in other fields. So how did that part of you grow and did you grow to like realize there's there was more to you or how did that work? Sure. No, I mean, I would say like, yeah, the, the army doesn't you don't have a calculator, right? Like you don't do any of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's all it's all soft skills. And, you know, it, it is it is leadership and it's daily, daily practice of, of that leadership. It's, it's getting things wrong. It's getting yelled at. It's making a plan. It's adjusting that plan. And you just do it over and over and over again for four years. So, yeah, hey, there are like these like large problems or these large like tasks that you need to to complete. And just like, you know, a more sort of like analytical engineering problem, you're, you're going to break it down into little discrete subtasks and you're going to sort of just knock off and complete them one at a time. And it's it's the same sort of thing in the army, except you're you're dealing with people and equipment and a mission and sort of things of that nature. And so you, you practice and, and those four years of practicing in, in the army, um, you know, I, again, it's 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 something that has sort of, you know, led me to, to, to what I do today. Project management is very similar, you know, regardless if you're in the army, if you're in the semiconductor industry, if you're in the electric vehicle industry, you, you're basically, you know, convincing people to do things, you know, on time, on budget with a, with a level of quality. And yeah, that all started with that practice in the army. Right. So you've just done a little foreshadowing. There was an end to that army experience for you, though. It wasn't just Korea, right? You had a couple of different tours. I was in Colorado Springs uh, right after that, which was a, a glorious place to uh, to go. I, I think I could make the lift line at Breckenridge in <laughs> I, I think it, I think it was an hour and a half I could get up there. Right. Um, so that was that was wonderful. There was an opportunity for my squadron at the time. Um, we were scheduled to go to to Bosnia for a year. I was really excited about that. That was sort of like a, it's almost like a capstone for my army experience. But again, a small twist of fate. 
and the force requirements for that Bosnia mission got cut. And so for the three squadrons in my brigade that were supposed to go to Bosnia, one got cut and we were the ones. And so that that was kind of like, it's like, oh, OK, well, then, you know, I've, I've done my four years. I've completed my obligations. So, you know, let's move on to the to the next thing. And, and that next thing was the semiconductor industry. It was it was San Francisco. Um, and again, a twist of fate. I, I had some very good Dartmouth friends who were in San Francisco, and I was like, I was like, hey, let me let me go out and visit. And I flew in on a Friday, and they took me out to San Francisco, and it was uh, just a phenomenal time. I had a great time. You know, I had a bunch of job interviews that uh, you know two days after that on Sunday that were set up for a recruiter. I think I had a job offer two two weeks after that. It was sort of like the height of like the dot com boom. And soon thereafter, I, I moved to San Francisco, and um, and yeah, hey, now I was a project manager in the semiconductor industry, right? Which was almost the exact same thing as the army. I mean, literally, like my group of like you know seven people or so, we were all project managers. We were all former army officers. Ugh. Our boss was an army officer. It was sort of like a first taste of like the Silicon Valley culture. It was, it was like, you know, our boss basically said, hey, he sort of like unleashed us. He said, hey, I've got this problem. You guys go fix it. Don't do anything illegal. Don't do anything, um, you know, that, that contradicts company policy or, or, or whatnot, but do whatever it takes to fix the problem. And it, it was it was great. I mean, we, we, we just sort of took no prisoners, uh, you know, in, in a way and, um, and and we solved this problem. But at the same time, it's like as, as a as an introduction to Silicon Valley, it was it was also very much of, you know, you you've got to go fast. You've got to yeah. you've got to iterate. You've got to constantly improve. You you you're going to change directions constantly. Like if you fail, no problem. Like just you know go on to the next thing. You know learn from your failures. And so yeah, you know the dot com you know bust came in um, you know in, in in late 2000. Silicon Valley you know sort of petered out a little bit for a couple of years. Um, and and so after about two years at, at Applied Materials, which is a very very large you know multi billion dollar firm, I decided I was like oh, okay, well let's uh, you know what what can I do next here? Um, you know I, I think you know a lot of people you know a lot of that group of Dartmouth friends also had moved away like. You were one of them, actually, Leslie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, it was it was it was kind of sad to see all my friends moving away. And so I had made that decision at, at that point. I was like, okay, well, let's go to business school. And um, I ended up going to Duke for business school, which was on the East Coast. And again, that was my grand plan. I was like, all right, like I'm going to move back to the East Coast, right? I grew up in Virginia, and you know, I was going to move back across country and then you know, be close to my family, close to. I, frankly, a lot of a lot of friends from both from from high school and from from college figure out what to do next um, on on the East Coast. And so you had this kind of I would say not that there was a traditional in the late 90s uh, Silicon Valley experience, but a a bit of a non-traditional experience because it wasn't that like flash and burn kind of thing. Um, So you still knew that there was a job, right? Like, did you not go back no. to into the same career? Another twist of fate, right? I ended up meeting my wife in at, at business school, and she was from Los Angeles, and <laughs> and she was like, "I'm not going to live on the East Coast," and I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not really going to live in Los Angeles." And so we were like, "Well, hey, what about San Francisco?" And so <laughs> right after business school, we we moved back to Silicon Valley, and I went back into the um, 
uh, semiconductor industry for a few years. But at that time, I was like, all right, well, hey, if I'm here in Silicon Valley, let's have one of those more classic sort of startup experiences. So I ended up joining a few years later, but I ended up joining a um, uh, like a, a small uh, startup company that did semiconductor foundry work for like um, research and development type of companies. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, there was maybe, I don't know, 75 people, maybe a hundred people. We did our thing for, for a couple of years. And then lo and behold, you know, another financial crisis hit. I think our largest, like two or three customers all went bankrupt. Yeah. We held on for, for a little while, but yeah, we ended up going bankrupt. I think I was one of the last 10 people out the door by the last week or so. Like I, I was literally like on trash detail, like we were shredding documents and hard drives and, you know, cleaning up the offices in order to turn over. But it was a great experience, right? It's like, it's like, okay, hey, like, it didn't work out from from a from a startup point of view, like I didn't make a bazillion dollars. And, 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 you know, it wasn't Google, right? It it, it wasn't anything uh, like this. But it was certainly the exact opposite, right? I mean, it was, it was crash and burn. And it was very different from at Applied Materials, in which you were like, you know, there was this expectation that there was always money in the bank, like you, you just, you know, there was always money in the bank. And then all of a sudden, like you were worried about cash flow, like on a monthly basis and whether or not you were going to make payroll and all that other kind of stuff. And ultimately we didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. But those are great, as you said, great experiences because you see what it feels like, what you can withstand. Like, frankly, all those things that I would imagine, you know, scenario planning in the military, like you're you're seeing it out now. But I'm sure that also gave you some time. Like you, you saw the writing on the wall. You, were, while you were taking out the trash, you're like, okay, so I'm gonna have to have a next act. There wasn't really, uh, well, this one, this one goes down. I'll just hop to the next. It needed to be something different. So, what was kind of your thought process on getting you to the right next place? Sure, and and I'd love to tell you that I had like this like great plan, and I was fantastic no. about like <laughs> reaching out to a network, and like and like all of these things sort of fell into place. But again, it's it's like I I I feel like in in some way it's 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 luck, and and the more and more that I'm in in Silicon Valley, like the more and more like it's it's luck so many times, right? Like my old boss at this semiconductor company that that went bankrupt had a friend of his from from college who who now joined the EV industry, and he was like, "Hey, I've got a position for you. Want you want to come over and 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 join this?" And I was like, "It's like, yeah, sure. Like I, I don't have anything else to do." Yeah, I mean, I was at this point. I, I was, I was trying to get out of the semiconductor industry. Like, I think I had been through three or four sort of bust cycles, and and they're they're pretty brutal. Yeah. And so, the, you know, the electric vehicle automotive industry sounded pretty cool, and it was kind of like a construction job, right? But it was it was project management, and if you've done project management in the army, if you've done project management in in, in a semiconductor company, it's it's just construction project management. And it's like it's like no one had electric vehicle experience anyway, because no. this was like new territory, right? We, we were completely making all this up on the fly, right? Yeah. So there were no rules, right? You you could do whatever you needed to do in order to get the job done. You could you could make up whatever you needed to make up. You could ask people to do whatever you wanted to do. And at the end of the day, like you know, you, you're in charge. Like we got to make all the decisions to create an electric vehicle charging network. 
And it worked, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's been fantastic. And, and I've been and I've been building electric vehicle uh, charging stations for for the last eight years at, at, at this point, which is which is exciting, right? I mean, I, I'm completely bought in on electric vehicles, right? I mean, like you know, it, it is it is something that you know, if you don't drive an electric vehicle right right now, like you know, I'm going to convince you, like over the next like ten to twenty years, right? You're going to buy an electric vehicle, right? And and, and I feel like my job is you know, to make sure that all of those like little things that you worry about from electric vehicle, right? Like the, like the range anxiety or like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how am I going to get to Disneyland with my kids or sort of something like that? I I have to build charging stations for, for, for everybody so that, so that you can buy electric vehicles. And it's, it's, it's tremendous fun. It is, um, it's, it's very fulfilling. I work at mission-driven companies, again, very much like the Army. That is a mission-driven company, right? It, it, is, it is being a part of something that is bigger than yourself. And I love it, right? I mean, it, it's 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 great fun to talk about electric vehicles. It's great fun to think that like I am a very small piece of trying to solve like this huge sort of overwhelming issue of, of climate change and carbon emissions. But it feels good every single day to be able to say, oh yeah, hey, I am doing my part. And little by little, we're gonna we're gonna kind of help solve this problem. And one could say that too is a correlate to the military, that you're a small piece in this overwhelming mission that can change the world just by its very nature, right? You know, I I obviously we we talked quite a bit about the army and and, um I, I do I think that 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 really is one of like the key sort of things that, that, that shaped me for, for the type of person that I am today. And I would say that the Army was, was really a great equalizing type of organization. Frankly, nobody cared that I went to Dartmouth at the Army. It, it, it didn't matter at all. Nobody really even cared that I was an engineering major, right? You know, there was a story, I, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but, you know, there was a story where there was a, a, a second lieutenant and, and they were like, well, hey, what did you major in? He was like, he was like, I was a dance major. And everybody just sort of was kind of laughed. And he was like, oh, you're a dance major and now you're an army officer. And then like the, you know, like the first physical fitness test sort of came around and the dance major like destroyed <laughs> everybody. And so like, they didn't make fun of the dance major anymore, right? right? right. So, so it doesn't matter. So, so the army is this is this great equalizing sort of organization. But it, it's also, I you know, as as I as I look back on it, it's a fantastic career for the people who choose to go that route. It is open to everybody in the United States. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, like what your background is. There are there are thousands of of of. of of, of individuals who, you know, join the army, uh, you know, I think they get their citizenship. So it's, it's a great first job for, for a lot of people sort of coming to, to this country. And um, it really sort of opens your eyes. I mean, like Dartmouth, I mean, as much as we love Dartmouth, I mean, Dartmouth is really in a bubble. I mean, like Hanover is like a massive, massive bubble and, and the army and the army bursts that bubble very, very quickly. And, and so I would, uh, you know, I would encourage everyone um, look at the armed services, right? It, it was a great experience. Don't be afraid. Like if your kids say, Hey, like, you know, I, I'm really kind of interested in, 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 in the army or the Navy. Like I, I, I would encourage you to encourage them because it, it's, it, it was wonderful. And then, you know, for, for other people like, yeah, Hey, if, if you are looking for a second job or, or, you know, a, a career move or something like that, 
you know, I, I would encourage everyone to, you know, participate in some type of public service, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you know, maybe you run for your town council or, or, or maybe you, you know, you join the, you know, the state department, or maybe you're just like in the mail room, you know, because you want to do something in, 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 in you know, for a, for a, for a part-time job and you're just in the mail room at like, like city hall or something like that. But I, I would very much encourage people to, um, to, to, to do something um, with, uh, with, with, with public service. So, yeah. So it seems as though these twists of fate, plus a little bit of knowing who you are and what you're attracted to, um, has really put you in really cool places. When you think back to that, you know, pre-22 year old Carrington, so that maybe that freshman or, you know, college days Carrington, what do you know now that had he known would have kind of blown his mind about where you would be or the experiences you'd had. I don't think it would surprise me that I ended up working in an electric vehicle manufacturing company. I think that that would that that would not be surprising. Yeah, hey, I, I was I was an engineer at, at Dartmouth, and I always kind of I enjoyed that kind of stuff. Um, even, even like my last couple of years at Dartmouth, I, I don't think I was going to be one of like the design engineers, like the people who are, who are, you know, really heavily involved in the design aspect. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that I'm not an engineer by practice. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that I'm involved in, in some type of company that is, is technology focused. I, I like to tell people that the electric vehicle charging industry, uh, the people who work in the industry, it's sort of like a Venn diagram, right? You've got people who are like car people, and then you've got people who are like technology people and you've got people who are like environmental people. Yeah. And I'm sort of in the middle of like the technology and environmental piece. And and both of those pieces, right, I, I can kind of trace back to, to Dartmouth, right? And, hey, I was an engineer at Dartmouth and all of the sort of like the outdoors kind of vibe of, of Dartmouth, it kind of just permeates your, your, your soul. Um, and, and that's kind of carried on throughout these 20, 20 years or so. And so, so yeah, you know, the company that I work for now is this kind of perfect confluence of all those little, little pieces coming together, doing something that I get immense personal satisfaction out of. Yeah, just a whole lot of fun. And hopefully world changing for the good for the rest of us and generations to come. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing these roads. We're really excited to see where those twists of fate take you next. And we wish you all the best. Thanks, Leslie. I very much enjoyed speaking with you today. That was Carrington Bradley, an expert in charging station technologies within the electronic vehicle industry, who's on a mission to make you into an electric car driver and to connect you to the power you need. A project manager at heart, Carrington also has a background in the semiconductor industry, as well as military leadership. We love to hear stories about people taking advantage of what fate has offered them, and we hope you will take advantage of the material we offer at roadstakenshow.com. The show notes and transcripts give you other ways to connect to our guests, and a contact us form on the site gives you a chance to share with us what you're enjoying, what would make the show better, and who you'd like to hear on the podcast. Please follow, review, and share our show, and keep joining me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on future episodes of Roads Taken.